Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello, welcome to Daily Duff Differently. This is Jeremy Kalmanowski, and today we will conclude Tractate Sukkah and study page 56. The focus of the page today is on the uh, the sacrificial gifts that were enjoyed by the Mishmarot. The ancient temple calendar divided the different priestly clans into 24 different units, and they took turns serving in the weeks. And we uh, focus mainly on the 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 gifts that each priestly clan received and how they were equal in large respects but divided in other respects. We will conclude with an interesting literary account of why one particularly infamous clan received a kind of punishment for their heresy. Before we reach that, however, we'll return to an issue that we discussed yesterday, the principle of tadir v'she'eno tadir tadir kodem, that mitzvot that are done more frequently should be done first before mitzvot that are done less frequently, and that is one of the points that is raised in the discussion of how to say the brachot, the blessings, for Kiddush on Sukkot Eve. Uh, the the uh, statement is given here that according to Rav, you should say the the, mitzvot, the bracha, the blessing of Baruch Asher Kitshanu v'mitzvotav v'tzivanu, blessed is God who sanctified us with God's commandments and commanded us leshev basukah, and to commanded us to sit in the sukkah first, and then afterwards say the Shehechianu for reaching the special day. But Rabbah Bar Barchana rules the opposite, that the Birkat Hazman, the blessing for time, Shehechianu, comes first, and Leishev Basukah comes second. And in the course of that, one of the points that is raised, as, as we mentioned yesterday, that principle of more frequent comes first, Rabbah Bar Barchana is, uh, is seen as invoking the idea that since we say Shechianu so much more often than we say Leishev Basukah, blessed is God who commanded us to dwell in the Sukkah, we should say that one first. In actual practice, the law follows Rav. On the first day of Sukkot, on the first night of Sukkot, you're supposed to say Leishev uh, Basukah first and Shechianu second. Although, oddly enough, on the second day of Sukkot for Kiddush, we're supposed to reverse the order and say uh, say Shechianu first and Leishev Basukah second. At any rate, so is the ruling of the Shulchan Aruch in two uh, separate Simanim in two separate paragraphs in the Shulchan Aruch, and both the Sephardic authority, Rav Yosef Karo, and the Ashkenazic, Rav Moshe Israelis, agree on this point. You know, an, an interesting thing is that in the substantial majority of cases, probably 85% of the cases, 90% of the cases, the Talmud itself does not give a ruling of uh, upon halachic disputes. It lets both positions stand, and uh, and later authorities have their traditions about which one wins out. In our case today. On the page, uh, we get rulings, although they're not that helpful, because uh, Rav Nachman rules like Rav Barbarchana and says we should say should say Shehechianu before Leishev Basukah, and yet the Talmud goes on and says that Rav Sheshet rules like Rav, and Hilchata, 
Yeah, the, the final determination of the law is also like Rav Sukkah, the Achar Kachzman, bless upon Leshev Basukah, and then bless Shehechianu on the time. In all events, as noted, the law splits the difference. Now, coming to the end of the Masech, at the end of the tractate, as a general rule, the tractates tend to end on some, some kind of a flourish. Uh, the uh, the first chapters of the tractates are almost always the longest. By the time the tractates are over, the rabbis have made most of their points related to the given uh, topic, and the final chapters do tend to be a little bit shorter. In Sukkot, it's not so obvious how short it is. In, in a tractate like Shabbat, the, the final chapters are just a, a couple of pages apiece. But in all events, the editors are not... Um, they're not unreflective about the fact that they're bringing something to an end, and so they usually try, both in the Mishnah and in the Gemara, to close off with some sort of homily or some sort of, uh, some sort of special literary flourish, and our chapter is not different. Uh, our, our tractate is not different. We noted the fact, I noted the fact, that we're dealing with the Mishmarot, and both the final Mishnah and the final uh, passage of Gemara bring us the shameful story of the Mishmar, that, that Kohen clan, the priestly clan group, the shameful story of the Bilgah clan. Uh, in most cases, the, the incoming Mishmar, the new, the new group who was going to begin its two weeks of service, would receive their uh, priestly portions in the north side of the temple, and when they were ending their term of service, they would receive their priestly portions in the south side of the temple, Bilgad did something terrible, and so it was decreed that they would always receive their portion on the south side of the temple, whether coming in or coming out, so that anyone who would see the Bilgad clan would know that they were kind of on the way out. They were they were being shamed. So what is it that uh, the Bilgad clan did? Well, our our uh, chapter gives us two possibilities. The first one is particularly interesting. The Talmud and the other cognate literature, uh, other rabbinic collections, like the Tosefta Relot, relate, I'll read the Babli's version, the Babylonian Talmud version, but there's others, Ma'asei b'Miriam bat Bilga. Here is the story of what happened to Miriam bat Bilga. Shehemira data, she changed her religion, she converted out, v'halcha v'niseit l'sardiot echad mimalchei ha'yivanim. And she married one of the Greek soldiers. Presumably, this is a story that dates to the Hasmonean period, something like Antiochus in the in the Hanukkah story. She married one of those Greek soldiers. And when the Greeks entered the temple to defile it, she beat upon the altar with her sandal, the Amra, Lucus, Lucus, and she said, Wolf, Wolf. Lucus is Greek for wolf. How long will you keep consuming the property of Israel? And yet you don't come through for them in their hour of need. In other words, she she scorned the altar, said you receive all these sacrifices and you ain't done anything for the people now in their time of need. After the Hasmoneans finally won that war and defeated Antiochus, the sages decreed there that uh, the Bilgah clan should bear the shame of Miriam for her heresy and for her obnoxiousness. Now, the great 
great rabbinic sage of my organization, Jewish Theological Seminary, Shaul Liebman was a great, great scholar of Greek as well. And in his commentary on this, he notes that the Greek, uh, the Roman, I think he's Roman, but he wrote in, wrote in Greek, Lucianus has a story called The Lover of Lies, who refers to school teachers beating on the heads of their children by beating their sandals on their heads. Now, Lieberman knew classical literature so well, so when he hears this story about the woman beating on the altar with her sandal, he said, aha, this is a reference to that passage in, in Lucianus, or at, at the least, it's a, it's a parallel idea. Now, I myself, Lieberman doesn't say this, but I myself can't miss the fact that she, that in the story she calls the author Wolf, and the author of this particular satire is also called Lucianus Wolf. So maybe it is even a direct, uh, a direct reference that that's an, a gesture of scorn and uh, shame to the altar. She treats it like a recalcitrant little schoolchild. She beats on its head like a schoolchild. The other possibility that the Talmud gives is that they just were very late in coming, that the Bilgah clan was very late in coming. They didn't take the, they didn't take the, the, the Mizbeach, or they didn't take the Beit HaMikdash, the temple, very seriously. And so, therefore, uh, Yeshbav, the next clan, had its, had its uh, portion enhanced, and Bilga had its portion decreased. Finally, the Talmud asks, is, is it fair to punish the whole clan because of the actions of one of its recalcitrant, one of its uh, uh, apostatizing members? And it says, yes, actually, as the proverb goes, whatever a child says in the market is something it heard at home. It must be the case that Miriam Bad Bilga had heard all that heresy, uh, had he heard all that heresy back at home. Uh, I have to say that uh, plenty of Jews in our age want to ask that same question of the author. You, you receive our devotion, but what do you actually do for us? The passage concludes on that point, and Abaye says, Oy l'rasha, the oy l'shchenav, woe to the wicked and woe to its neighbors. Tov l'tzadik, the tov l'shchenav, blessing, goodness and blessing for the righteous, and goodness and blessing for his neighbors. Shene'emar, as it said, imru tzadik ki tov, Say to the righteous, it is good, and they they enjoy the fruits of their labors. Hadran Allah Perakahalil, may we return to you, chapter of the flute, the Hadran Allah Masachet Sukkah, and may we return to you as well, Tractate Sukkah. Thanks for learning today with me, and I look forward to learning the beginning of Tractate Beta with you tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.